continuing completed classics, fulfilling failed franchises, reinvigorating reviled rehashes. It's the follow-up showdown with Paul Gitz, Travis McMaster, and Lauren Accordion. Attend hut uppers and downers, and welcome to the follow-up showdown three AFIII. We are a podcast that pitches ultimate sequels to movies without them, and this season we are discussing all existing sequels to movies on both versions of the AFI Top 100 Films list. I am your old blood, Paul Getz. With me are my mm, guts, Travis McMaster and Lauren Pagorni. Spill, you two. Joanna! Wow. Jumping straight into Rescuers Down Under. Well, we've got some business up front, so I'm going to jump ahead a little and get right to bringing in our guest. He is a contributing film critic for Slant Magazine, the co-owner of the Arcadin Micro Cinema in St. Louis, Missouri, as well as a dear, good, wonderful friend of mine from high school, one of the smartest people I'll ever know. He's exactly who I want to be when I grow up, Keith Watson. Thanks for coming on the show, Keith. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> that was quite an intro, Paul. Did I pronounce... <laughs> The, the name it. of the theater, right? Not Genetic. quite, but um, <laughs> you, it would be more surprising if you did, <laughs> since uh, t- uh, typically great business sense that uh, we have, uh, we gave it a name that nobody knows how to pronounce. Uh, Arcaden. Ar- it's actually an emphasis on the second syllable. Right. Um, Which, yeah, um, I thought I did, but not. It comes like, from oh. this Orson Welles movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a tendency to, yeah, Arcaden. Yeah. As opposed to Arcaden. Arcaden. It, that but is, either way is fine. But it, you know. when you say it correctly, it does sound nicer. So good on you on that score. Okay, now <laughs> <laughs> on to the aforementioned business. And Keith, I'm going to let you decide. Do you want the exciting news or the awkward news first? Hmm. I guess I'll go with the awkward news first. Okay. Nice. The awkward news. This will be the first of two times this season that we will be skipping a sequel on the list. That sequel is 1928's The Singing Fool, follow-up to number 90 on the original list, 1927's The Jazz Singer. Some things to note about the original are that it was the first motion picture to ever feature both synchronized recorded music score as well as lip synchronous singing and speech. To many, this is why it is on the list at all. I imagine most would know off the bat why we're skipping ahead, but for those who might not, we do not wish to condone viewing either film's use of blackface. To that, we say bad form, Jolson, and move right along to 1986's The Last Days of Patton, TV movie sequel to number 89 on the original list, 1970's Patton. You got skipped, bitch. Now into the <laughs> exciting news. This is our 50th episode. <laughs> Guys! Ooh, whoa! We did it! Wow. Number 50! That's crazy. Yeah. So that's a golden a, episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned for the sequel. Well, yeah, episode <laughs> 51. <laughs> there we go. Got it. That's it. Well, we've got a, uh, you know, we got a nice even number here, but we're probably going to go past it. So we, we kind of got to go to 100 at least uh, for me to feel okay about it. It'll be a while. But anyways, congrats, everyone. Now, let's get right into it and have our two Travis McMaster minutes. To Travis McMaster 
Travis, are you ready to break down All everything right. that happens in both long films in two minutes? <laughs> it's going to well, be it's going to be shockingly brief. We watched the first one in a different state. So <laughs> yes, a long time ago. Geographically, yes. Yeah, not... <laughs> geographically, not mentally. Yeah. So uh, sure. I'm. I'm. Yeah. Let's do this. All right. And to transmit master Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Go. <laughs> uh, so the first movie is basically, if memory serves, World War One. You've probably nope. are, are familiar nope. at least with the parody version, <laughs> World War Two. Yeah. Excuse me. Excuse me. World the War sequel. One will come into this at some point. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're probably familiar with like in front of the the giant American flag and giving the big speech. If you haven't seen George C. Scott do it, you've seen Bugs Bunny or something do it. Mm. That opens the picture and it's a great open and it's downhill from there. It's all World War II as Patton is chewing his way to victory on behalf of America um, in a very blunt sort of like, I don't know, old fashioned, like tough, you know, uh, what's his name from there will be blood sort of way. Uh, he goes into a hospital at one point and there's a guy who'd like injured himself to get out of the war to get sent home and Patton like smacks him and kicks him out of the hospital. I bring that up because it is apparently an important plot point in the second movie. Sort of. If there can be such a thing described about the second movie. Um, and then we win the war. It's World War II. You know what happens. We did that. Patton was there and apparently like a big driving force of that. It's more about his character which is larger than life but can set your teeth on edge in retrospect. The last days of Patton are the true final months of what he was doing after the war, which is driving around a lot and defending Nazis. Then he gets into a really slow car accident and tragically breaks his <laughs> neck. I believe it could happen that way, but it just wasn't very cinematic, which is in keeping with the rest of the film. We then watch him slowly just kind of like be in a hospital in the 40s, so it's pretty horrible. And then a children's choir shows up and the movie ends. For some reason, we needed two and a half hours to slog through that. Uh, there's some beautiful matte paintings in it, though. So, so you like the films? <laughs> I have to say, spoilers, I was left a little cold. The end. Okay. All right. Yeah. You, 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 How did I do time-wise? Well, I mean, you were essentially done talking about the movies with 15 seconds left. Um it makes sense. There was some muddled things in there. You haven't watched the first one in a while, you specifically. But yeah, more or less, that was, well, was all in there. I'll, yeah. I'll say, not not in a defensive way, because I did, you know, it was a while since we watched Patton, and I don't really remember a lot of it. We watched, um, last night at 10.20, Lauren turned to me and said, oh, we have to watch Last Days of Patton. <laughs> so we... we that started our two and a half hour journey into the longest movie that has ever been made. <laughs> um, and I felt a little more comfortable in this case breezing through the minute even more than I typically do because uh, Keith is our, you're our patent expert, right? That's what I've been told. <laughs> yes, I've uh, written several multi-part biographies of George S. Patton. And, um, All right, we're going to try and get you to read at least a couple of those full books on this podcast. Oh, well, so. I'm happy to. I do remember the moment <laughs> in high school I found out that Keith got a, a five on the AP history test. I believe that's correct, right? Or was that civics? Uh, uh, I got a five on the politics oh, test. Okay. I don't think I got a five on the history. Okay. Well, Is that uh, a typical scale of 100, or did we... Does it's a really good scale. That's out of five. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, there was some probably some, <laughs> a whole patent section of that test. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, all right. Well, yeah, I'm trying to think. I, um, I, in the movie, at least, I don't believe the soldier that he slaps uh, injured himself. I think he's just there because he can't take it, is what he says, before he gets slapped. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. shell shot. Ment- yeah. yeah. Mentally injured. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is why Patton despises him so yeah. <laughs> so deeply. Right. Yeah. And then and publicly, boy, that guy was not afraid to be garbage in front of everyone. <laughs> no, 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 no. I yes. And uh, okay, so we've gotten Travis's thoughts on the film. Well, I'll go next. Okay. Um, I just recall like just be like, oh man, this guy's kind of like just just an asshole. Like he's just like ruthless, and I guess that's how you win terrible wars. <laughs> um, but I couldn't tell how the film wanted the audience to view him. I couldn't tell if like they were wanting us, if they were showing him how he was and they're like, look, isn't he great? Or if, if they were like, look, isn't he, doesn't he kind of suck? <laughs> I couldn't tell, but I did think he, he kind of sucked. Uh-huh. Here's a kind of a perfect transition um, in terms of what I would like to say about it, which I would say overall, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it more than I expected. And um I think as far as the movie goes, it held up. And I think it's because it's sort of what you referred to. I think it's a pretty even-handed look at him as an individual and a character. I mean, they're researching him a little bit more. They could have put more bad stuff in. But generally speaking, I do think it's important that it's not a glorification picture. Like, uh, I would say... I think maybe they were even going for it to be more anti-war than it came across. But I do think that what makes it so interesting to me is how complex and varied the perspective on him is. I mean, he's he's too controversial for many of his peers uh, in the film and at the time. But uh, he, as a character, I do like that it was not, a, in my interpretation about making him look a hero, but more showing him fully for the type of person he was like. And I think that that is what helps create such a, an awesome character, uh, even if you don't like the man or the movie, but character wise for George C. Scott to play, because he's got a lot to work with. And he nails it, my opinion. Uh, Yeah, I do want to backpedal slightly. (laughs) Because I didn't say it because I thought, I guess I sort of thought it went without saying, but obviously George C. Scott is incredible in this movie. Mm. And the whole time I do remember when we were slogging through the first one saying like, thank God George C. Scott is in every scene of this movie because it it really gets you through. He is just a dynamite, dynamite, a dynamite to watch. Yeah, Yeah, well, I I share your thoughts a lot, Paul, that um, it what is interesting to me about it is that it does on its face before you watch it and by reputation seem like it's going to be a hagiographic, you know, wave the flag, rah-rah portrait of Patton. And it, it, it does go down that route at certain times, but it really is a lot more multifaceted and ambiguous, ambivalent about who Patton is. Is he a good guy? I mean, he was a good guy only really by virtue of circumstances i think is kind of what the film shows you like he for him he doesn't have any ideology he doesn't even really love america per per se he's just loves being a military commander and wants to you know fulfill this great image of himself that he has in his mind and that that's really what drives him completely Mm -hmm. more than really any other 
facet, you know, of like defeating the Nazis, who he's really kind of sympathetic toward yeah. more than anything. Um, so I, th- I think that part is what um, makes it more dimensional, makes it more interesting. Some of the battle sequences, I think, do get a little bit like repetitive, and the film does have a somewhat repetitive structure. Mm-hmm. And George C. Scott, it's an amazing performance, but everybody else is kind of just standing around watching him, <laughs> like reacting to him. So yeah. you don't get like a whole lot else outside of him. But because it's such a great character and because it's done in this way that is very smart, I think, about giving you a lot of different angles you can look at Patton from, mm-hmm. I think it does, for me anyway, it, it works and the location, you know, shooting and like the big crowds of people and tanks blowing up and all that stuff is, is fun to watch too. Yeah. Yes, I would agree. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, he's, he is a character is, is just, uh, made for war. He's great at war and would rather there be war always as long as he can be (laughs) glorious in it. Um, yeah. And I thought a particularly fascinating thing about the character and the man is that he um, believed in reincarnation, though he was staunchly Christian, as he would be, but uh, also believed that he had been in every great war in the past, which I thought was (laughs) a cool aspect and also a good addition to use to make him seem demented, as he is in so many ways. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. He was born in the wrong time. Mm -hmm. If he had been a gladiator, they would have thrown... um, women at him right Um, and just sort of like that George C. Scott thing like he had the misfortune of being born now but was lucky enough to be in a position where he could wage this war but nothing would make him happier than to be a born 100 300 700 years ago and just cut through the world right Uh, totally yeah one of his first lines in the movie is something or not first line but it's in the first 20 minutes or so is like I hate the 21st century I despise it yeah and people say throughout the movie yeah he should have been in the 16th century or in ancient Rome or whatever. Wouldn't that have been great if he was just 300 years <laughs> yeah. ago? <laughs> Not now. Uh, but as you referred to in terms of his performance and sort of how much of the movie it is in comparison to anybody else's, I mean, it, this movie won Best Picture, Best Actor, of course, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, Best Score, Best Editing, wasn't even nominated what? for, of course, Best Actress or either Best Supporting category because there really just wouldn't be anything i don't know who you give the nomination to paul what did this movie beat out for best picture that's a good question what was it a (laughs) slow year uh okay all right uh airport five easy Uh, pieces hmm. love story and mash were the other nominees that year okay okay Wow, beat MASH, huh? That'd be particularly strong year. I do like Five Easy Pieces, MASH, yeah. Anyway, George C. Scott does a great job. <laughs> we can all agree. Uh, in both movies. <laughs> yeah. But before we move on to the second one, uh, let's Yee. we'll go over my notes for the first. <laughs> so, writer's notes. Uh, the screenplay is credited to Francis Ford Coppola. A name we'll be hearing again this season. I won't tell you where. Is he industry? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Edmund H. North, who also wrote The Day the Earth Stood Still and The Proud Ones, among Mm. many other films. But supposedly, 
uh, Francis Ford Coppola said he wrote a draft of the screenplay, was fired from the film in large part because Fox objected to the opening movie with the speech against the American flag that you referred to, Travis. Uh, and then when the film finally went into production, they used most of his script. So he and the other writer never worked together, never met even, I mean, during the uh, process or when they won their awards for best screenplay. Then we go into the director's notes. We got Franklin J. Schaffner. He also directed Papillon. <laughs> and Planet of the Apes, Travis. Did you know? Uh, I recognized the name. Uh, embarrassingly, I didn't know that. I tend to think of Planet of the Apes as an Arthur P. Jacobs production mm. rather than uh, Schaff. Frankie J. Schaff. That's exciting for me, though. He directed it, huh? I'm not. I guess. I guess I'll have to see his other movies because I love Planet of the Apes so dearly, and Patton sparked very little in me. Probably the subject mm. matter more than the I was direction. thinking that, like, mm-hmm. I like a planet of apes far more than I like <laughs> World War II. <laughs> well, we he won the direct best director for this one and not that one. That's just sci-fi prejudice. Mm. But then moving right along into <laughs> actor's notes, you know, kind of no one we're talking about here except George C. and the character of Patton. Uh, apparently he was uh, kind of like last on the list uh, for the role behind Burt Lancaster, Robert Mitchum, Rod Steiger, Lee Marvin, and Ronald Reagan. Lee Marvin. They all passed. That'd be cool. Uh, before they got to George C. But John Wayne apparently very eagerly sought the role and was refused by the producer, Frank McCarthy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think had he been in the part, I don't think this would be on this list. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> and also... Like some, because obviously George C. Scott is a better actor than John Wayne, but I think if this had been a John Wayne movie, it would never have been anything more than just a, a John Wayne movie. Another they all one. kind of get lined up next to each other, and we just go like, and that's what your dad watches on Sunday. Uh, apparently, George C. Scott was to some extent an army person. Um, he claimed that he strongly identified with the line of Patton, an entire world at war and I'm left out of it, because he joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> At age 17, wanting to fight in World War II, uh, which had ended as he completed his training. So, Patton reborn again, maybe. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Um, But when he won the Academy Award, he famously refused to accept it, claiming that competition between actors was unfair, uh, disliking the Academy's voting process, and calling the whole thing a big meat parade. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I mean, he's, he's not wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I totally yeah. get it. It's a pretty cool move, you know, oh, to be so uh, self-possessed that you could just refuse. You refused even the nomination, I believe. Like, it Oof. was just, uh, <laughs> he was that against Wow. I love it. And he... By refusing, he just he just said he didn't want it, and they were like, okay. Well, so you, well, you won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, did, hey, George, I actually read this. Following it, up, they they gave it to the producer, and then the producer like gave it to the Virginia Military Institute or something. Yeah, it's so still I guess there. because Patton and all the Patton sons and stuff went there. Yeah. So Robert, yeah. the most famous Patton son. nice we usually look to lauren for those kinds of punny punny funnies uh but well done she's rubbing (laughs) off on you she's just she's just a little distracted today she's she's got work so she's a little i'm filling in pun wise (laughs) 
the Punisher. <laughs> okay, she's back. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, he Dirk C sounded like uh, well, he, we I think we all probably know or at least assume he's an interesting cat. Uh, his alcoholism was pretty bad and was a big mm. concern during the yeah, filming of this. Thick alcoholic body. Yeah. <laughs> Thicker in the sequel. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little bit. Can I just? I just want to jump ahead on that point real quick. When they did the the scene in the second one of them of Patton fencing with the other guy, mm, mm-hmm. I didn't know that was Patton till his dubbed in voice came in because I was like, that dude's so skinny and sword fighty sized. <laughs> Who are these two children? <laughs> and then in the one shot where it was George when he did like the parry or whatever, yeah. I was like, now that's George C. Scott because that's a big beefy dude. Yeah. yeah. What are you doing? You can't you get, you can't get a big sword fighter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then my last actor's note, which I thought you guys would find fun because, you know, it's adorable. Um, after General Patton's death in real life, his bull terrier, Willie, who I, this isn't an actor's note. Why did I put this here? Willie was a, I don't know the name of the dog that played Willie, but a great character in both films was brought back to live at the Patton homestead with Patton's wife and daughters. And, you know, was buried in an unmarked grave on the land. I don't like the unmarked grave part. Okay. But, well, you know, that fun, fun fact life. took a, like a turn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, (laughs) He lived a happy life with his family and then was kicked into a ditch (laughs) with all the others where the rainwater sloshed him away. Uh, That is nice, though. Last thing I want to talk about notes wise on this movie, Uh, the score. It did win best score, original score by Jerry Goldsmith. I loved the score personally. Uh, You guys guys get any of that love? (sighs) I I recall like... (laughs) There being notes where I was like, "Oh, this is Jerry Goldsmith." Sure, he always shows up. But I don't recall it outside of that. I don't. Isn't it? Wasn't it very just like general? I mean, uh, it had uh, a patriotic, like military, fluty drumming to it. But it, yeah, there was a like a very notable like a kind of makes it a, a, coming in and fading out like a da 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 da. Oh, that's yeah. Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, because yeah. Alien. Yeah, and the Burbs. Yeah. Okay. Surprisingly, not Planet of the Apes. Hmm. Perhaps his best score. Though the Academy doesn't recognize it that way. <laughs> meat parade. Meat parade, meat parade. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I got fun facts. Hey, you know, I'll, I'll try to remember to sprinkle those in later. Anything well, they else? They sound fun. Yeah. Well, shut up, Travis. You know how I fun got they fun are facts. at this point. <laughs> <laughs> the dog died. <laughs> um, okay, fair enough. But anything anybody else wants to say about Patton before we move on to its sequel? Keith, <laughs> guest. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I think I said my my piece on Patton. <laughs> All right. Definitive statements made on Patton. That was a pretty uh, I will say killer one statement. Thing, you used a word I didn't recognize, mm-hmm. and I respect it. <laughs> one one thing that is, uh, j- and this kind of carries, so maybe it's a bridge to The Last Days of Patton, is that the end of the movie is very strange because Patton doesn't die, mm-hmm. even though he died almost, you know, very soon after World War II. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's almost hit by a car, an ox cart, right? Which is similar to how he actually died, but not how he actually died. And he survives, and then he just kind of walks around, and you know, there's some overlay of narration or something. Yeah. It's an interesting. It's, it's like he's a mythic figure, I guess. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I imagine the ox cart was probably alluding to his actual death because right. they didn't know there was going to be a sequel where they 
well, <laughs> went into great detail I, about it. They had to I set have, it up for the sequel, you're saying. <laughs> I have a note about the ox cart. They apparently put it in the movie so they could transition into the conversation that follows, which I believe was just... Oh, the famous ox cart conversation well, no, that the movie ended with. I do remember that scene, you know, standing out yeah, as they, a scene. It's sort of like... Somebody says something like, oh, a great man, you know, yeah. I've lived through the whole war and then Wouldn't it be... taken out by an ox car. Right. And then it's him and Carl yeah. Malden and they're chatting. And then yeah. he goes into like a long thing of like describing everything he'd done, uh, Patton does, which I remember feeling like, mm-hmm. this is odd. Like, <laughs> we don't need this. And <laughs> I mean, uh, I think that definitely recap yeah. at the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> definitely sounds like them kind of like doing his death without. Showing. showing a really slow, boring car accident and then a long, drawn-out <laughs> hospital stay. Yeah. They should have added two and a half hours yeah. to Patton of him in the hospital, uh, not recovering on his life. And yeah, but yeah, I like, I like, I sort of did like seeing that the movie present him as that what he sees himself as is that mythic figure that cannot mm-hmm. die and just when it's his time, he'll just kind of walk into the sunset with his dog. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, transitioning. Toward the last days of Patton, first I'm going to ask, does this movie, Patton, belong, in your opinion, on the top 100 films list? No. I'll say that (laughs) it's not for me. I don't want to necessarily take it off the list just because I was bored with it and whatever. Because it wasn't like, it wasn't like a poorly made movie. It's not like... For me, I mean, there are certainly a hundred movies that I would place above it. Right. And then some um so if that's the standard then no but um i mean for george c scott and for capturing a certain kind of like i don't know americana thing it kind of fit i mean it makes sense that it's on there it's kind of the culmination of that like 50s 60s post-war like you know rah-rah thing but then it's got just that little bit of like it's made during the vietnam era there's a little bit of questioning in there so i mean it kind of represents that whole scope a little bit but i mean it's not necessarily a movie i would revisit all the time yeah i mean i I, if i were making my personal top 100 films list it wouldn't be on it uh but i think that there will we will come to films that i'm more upset to have on the list I do have a fair amount of respect for this movie and the performance. And uh, yeah. as far as a war movie goes, I found the battle scenes um, unique in their look and also fairly entertaining. I also sort of liked the um, chaotic feeling of watching them and not being able to tell what tanks I was looking at and stuff and sort of feel, feeling in that way that like, whoa, war, man. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but I also like the complex figure of Patton being presented as so. And I don't feel like you get that in a lot of war movies um, outside of like yeah. the war is hell uh, perspective. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, should this movie have a sequel? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> because it's based on a real guy and what really happened to him was he did clerical work until a car accident killed him. I don't want to watch that. Mm. And the ending that we got in Patton you know, for the movie it is, it's a tremendous ending. Mm. Leave it alone. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think there's any compelling reason for a sequel to Patton. Patton 2 sounds like a 
joke in the player or something. Right. You know? Well, yeah, and I agree. I think that uh, the choices made in where Patton started and where Patton ended were solid choices. I mean, you could have gone all the way back yeah. to him being in the Olympics and stuff before the war also, but I think uh, yeah. his most compelling journey was shown. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going to do a sequel, should it be a sequel <laughs> or a prequel? A prequel. prequel. Like, sh- should we watch him do clerical work and die in a slow car accident, or should we watch him be in World War One? Mm. Let's hear both sides of this first before <laughs> I answer. God! I think there is, well, I'm, you know, there are there are these, like, theories that Patton was murdered. Oh. And, uh, like, Bill O'Reilly has a book about it. Wow. And his, so his version is that, like, the Soviets murdered him. But there's other theories mm. that he was actually murdered by, like, the U.S. military intelligence apparatus because he, I guess, because he wanted to go, you know, extend the war even further. Mm. He wasn't doing the denazification. He was standing in the way of all the stuff they were trying to do post-war. And so they like contrived to hit him with the car and then that didn't kill him. So then they like got him with cyanide in the hospital or something like that. Wow. So huh. if you were doing a sequel straight off of his life in the form of the last days of Patton, I think that would be at least somewhere you could go with it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like Assuming more would happen than did in true. the movie we got. <laughs> yes. Right. And I'm not just being... A, a bully, like literally, you could just cut out like half of the establishing shots, cut most of the shots they used in half, and you could trim thirty minutes off of this mm. movie. Yeah, and then take out half of the scenes. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Tight, tight sixty. Just make yeah. it you know short. What? Actually, everybody, just go yeah. home. Uh, <laughs> talking about this out loud, I hear it. We're just gonna go. What do you have to say off the top about your ten thirty viewing <laughs> the last days of Patton last night? <laughs> Those last days, yeah. I mean, there were not many of them, but nope. Nope. <laughs> it, it did feel like long days yep. from the film. Certainly the second half. For me, if you want my, oh yeah. for me, yeah, Patton, what, I, what we talked about, what I liked about Patton is that it's a film that's ambiguous, a little bit ambiguous about how you feel about Patton, mm-hmm. a little ambivalent. And that's cool. And it feels deliberate that it's that way. And then Last Days of Patton just feels like it doesn't really know why it's telling this movie about Patton. Like, why are we watching it? Yeah, right. (laughs) So it's like the difference between a a film that's intentionally ambiguous and a film that is just like doesn't know what it wants to say, you know? Yeah. And um, there is interesting stuff like the the denazification stuff is interesting that he was you know so and there's that's alluded to in the first movie but they flesh it out a little bit more right. in a second right in, in the <laughs> but uh, then press scene when he's on the hospital bed though it is it really, it dies <laughs> a long slow death mm-hmm. much like the man did yeah 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 <laughs> and uh there's just not a lot there and the flashbacks, it's just like you're watching Oof. like a Christmas carol or something. It's I, really... I was I, I was so baffled by the choice to, and it's not even that I don't see how they got there necessarily, but the choice to have the young actor narrate those sequences mm-hmm. when they did rather yeah. than George C. And Scott. And absolutely nothing um, like. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm like nothing. It just yeah. looked like the most clean cut nobody <laughs> actor, you know these zoom-ins on his eyes to signal it's flashback time <laughs> was one of the least Didn't, cinematic. Really good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
Well, so supposedly, as far as that young Patton actor goes, they were, and for you to have brought up a Christmas Carol, they had slotted the same man who played young Scrooge to George C. Scott's old Scrooge in A Christmas Carol, set to be young Patton, but then a postponement in production uh, caused him to exit the the role, which is what gave us Ron Burgless, the man who (laughs) did not fit. Ron Burgless. (laughs) (laughs) And then supposedly... It was good nose casting, though. I will say that. I did... Yeah, he kind of had the nose. Yeah, I was looking for something, and the nose was there, if anything. Um, Yeah. I liked young B. She had some... I liked the... Mm -hmm. How they used her character um, as sort of being, you know, a spitfire and, you know, driving the tank and... Sure, she drove the tank. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was good. But, like, so much in the movie... So much in the movie after it happened, and we just move on. I look over at Lauren, and I'm like, "So what are we doing? What right. is it then? What, <laughs> what I don't understand why I watched that. <laughs> These are just things." Yeah. And then I go, "Oh, of course, it's based on real life. These are literally. It's just going to be things that happened until he dies." Well, and supposedly, and <laughs> yeah. a big part of the reason this film happened at all was George C. Scott felt he had not really captured the full character of George S. Patton. He apologized to the director, Franklin J. Schaffner, uh, on the set for not fully realizing the complexity of the man, which, what an annoying thing for the best actor (laughs) for this role to do. But this was the impetus for him to push for this TV sequel to be made so he could get back into Patton and fully play him. Um, well, he did great. I, he did do great. I agree. I agree. He, uh, once again, it's great. And it is funny how. Yeah. <laughs> what I do kind of like about it, which doesn't really make sense, but, you know, he's playing way older than he is in Patton, and then he's playing about the right age right. in the last days of Patton, but he feels so much older. It, and so, mm-hmm. even though it's basically a day after right. the end of Patton, it feels like twenty years have passed if you watch them. Yeah. I also found it interesting, and I guess it's just like makeup versus like he's older now, and so we can do it a little more naturally. How bald he was in Patton was more <laughs> bald than the last days of Patton, <laughs> in which it at yeah. least looked like more natural hair. Um, but yeah, it, it was mm-hmm. the the sixteen year jump was noticed. Yeah. Yes. Again, I thought the tone was confusing. Like, it felt disproportionate because the whole all of Patton was just like this guy is like a hard ass, but all he's doing in this one is like singing and like being loved <laughs> by all and, and just being insanely misogynistic. Mm. So mm. I was like, okay, I feel like I don't, I no longer know what type of character Patton's, I mean, I do because I, I know, I have seen many old white men, mm. but mm-hmm. I no longer have like a clear view on what they want him to be because he's just like at parties, <laughs> like there was a point where I guess he was having an affair with his secretary and I just thought that was his wife. Oh, well, so I don't that know is his niece, what I was watching. Niece by marriage. It's his wife's niece. Oh, that. That's it, actually his niece. Wait, well, in, I thought that was a lie she told to get in to see no, him. That's, that is true. That is part of his history. So he was having an affair with his niece. Well, it's... By marriage. It's, uh, oh, everyone, by marriage. <laughs> not weird. It's, uh, it, it 
apparently it's um it's arguable whether or not the affair was real but at the very least he was cl- there there was a claim to an affair i see yeah we'll get into that even more confusing yeah. mm. <laughs> <laughs> i say the only things that kind of like saved it for me was that um because it was a made for tv movie there was weird ad breaks like we watched it on amazon prime <laughs> right so, you know like it also there was like a point where like it was whenever his niece came in to see him. And then, like, the film jumped, and it right. was a different color correction. Yeah. And, um, and she came back in. Well, it was the most exciting yeah. part of the movie, almost. Yeah. <laughs> really and got I, my I, attention. I, I liked how it looked like we were watching it on VHS. I was like, if we were just watching this and it was crystal clear, I feel like I would enjoy it even less. It is. The VHS aspect made it tastier. Watching this transfer was interesting, because there was, like, a, a, a yeah. regular skip in the film yes there was um and the odd yeah yeah, yeah. it's very odd it was it was just like your grandpa had recorded it when it aired <laughs> right. on his vcr and he was like and you can put that on amazon yeah. you can charge people it's fine there's it's, like it, tracking my, that happens yeah. at certain points it's, yeah it's yeah. my grandpa adam sandler yeah <laughs> yeah the sandman i wish wow i do think at least in the first section first third of the movie i don't think they shy away from just having him going off with his crazy notions and beliefs and thoughts. Like uh, it's the same guy we got from the last movie and they're definitely not holding back on, they're not in any way trying to make it like, well, before he died, at least he found peace and sanity. You know, it's like, (laughs) right. He was like, no, I'm telling you, they, they used to be Nazis. Now they're just clerks. What's the big deal? Mm -hmm. Yes. That TV movie was directed by Delbert Mann, who had a, a, a good long career uh, that eventually settled from feature films into TV movies. He became very familiar with that art well before he did The Last Days of Patton, but he is most known for directing 1955's Marty, which that year won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Screenplay. So he's yeah. a pro. He, 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 everything was in focus. <laughs> It was no, yeah. Yeah, it's hard I, to tell. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's hard to tell because <laughs> the transfer that's available is so poor. <laughs> they did do, you know, there were like troops assembled. There's a little bit of spectacle in the beginning yeah. part of it there that were would have benefited from of... better Gen- quality. Yeah, had genuinely, I could tell, genuinely beautiful, and someone worked really hard on them. Matte paintings. Yeah, the Bavarian the movie. Yeah. Castle thing. The, yeah. Personally, I would have preferred the commercials had been left in to this. Yeah, version, that so actually would have been what we would buy of, in a nineteen. Yeah. Although, how many more um, minutes would that have <laughs> added? To yeah, the that's past? a good yeah. half hour <laughs> yeah. or more. Had the first half of the movie been the first two thirds, I think that would have also made a difference in terms of at least the way it played yeah yeah how much we spend with him in bed is it, it seems yeah i think outbound, what would have made yeah. yeah what would have maybe made more sense is start with him in the hospital bed mm. and then kind of uh-huh. cut back from there yeah. and sprinkle the hospital seat and also cut some of it right. too that would be nice <laughs> yeah. but you know that's, start with that and then kind of move it. backward and yeah because yeah, yeah, just yeah. a full hour and a half of <laughs> just right. laying there i mean he's completely immobile it's, you yeah. know he's paralyzed especially so since nothing right. it's it's not you're not making this up 
we can just read a book. We know once that car hits that truck, I'm like, right. you're like, that's it. Yeah. 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 You're going to die. So the title would tell you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's, He's not going <laughs> to you know, turn so, this around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. since there is no dramatic tension and since we spent <laughs> at this point, something like five hours with this character there's not a lot more we can squeeze like i know he's gonna fight to the last but we'll have to succumb to his humanity as we all do which is what happens and i know his wife will be sad and i know washington's gonna be shitty about it can i go I, um it was very very funny last night i wrote it down because i was having trouble following what was happening in the movie um but i like realized that his buddy hep hap, hap yeah jet Hap, Hap. Um, is yeah. is the mayor from Jaws, mm-hmm. and the second the second I pointed this out, Travis hits me with a uh, Germany, as you know, means friendship, mm. and I uh, I laughed quite heartily. So. She did. She wrote it down in her book. She I thought did. it was so funny. <laughs> it was so funny. And I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> That's the final acting role of that man who played Hap, Marie Hamilton. Oh, that was his final role, and a good one. He was good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was yeah. really good in it. He was good, yeah. All right. I mean, everyone was really good in the movie. It was just, who cares? <laughs> I will say, I did at least have what I felt was a nice, emotional, and just sort of impressed uptick in the moment where he and B, uh, Eva Marie Saint, uh, say their, have their final goodbye scene. That scene, to me, was so well acted that mm-hmm. it was like, it brought life back to the story enough that I'm like, well, okay, I'll almost take this whole movie for this scene. I asked the prequel sequel question with a weighted intention because I believe Travis has been teasing his patent uh, pitch as something he's excited about for a good long time now. Uh, And I had a theory as to what it was. Apparently I was wrong because (laughs) yes, because I was convinced, and I would probably enjoy watching this movie, that someone's prequel pitch would be all of his past lives as a film. Watching George C. Scott Mm. play against Napoleon and play as a caveman and play as a Roman uh, soldier (laughs) and get some compelling war stuff. Do do we all get to do like a little... I'm, I'm, I'm crediting this pitch as an idea I thought you would have. So in no, a way, sure, I'm just saying okay. there's not my yeah. pitch, but here's a pitch. Okay. Well, okay, okay. Yeah. I know I only brought one pitch. Say, don't put that on the books. But Lauren, you're the judge. You heard it. Uh, if you're compelled at the end to, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to announce a, a, an underdog winner, you know, that'd be fun. But uh, who wants to go first with their actual pitch? I think we should let the guest go first. Okay. Well, I will go first, uh, and Paul, my pitch is not quite what Paul had just said, but it is based on a similar premise. Ooh. By God, I actually pity those poor bastards we're going up against. By God, I do. And it is based on the premise, of course, of uh, Patton's belief in reincarnation. And my idea was not to go to the past, but actually to go to the future. And so... In a future, undefined, not sure how how far in the future this is, we're on the cusp of a World War III scenario in the world, and in one of the uh, combatant nations, there is a rising 
military commander rising through the ranks, played by George C. Scott, who believes himself to be the reincarnation of Patton. And I think the kind of the idea with this movie is that Patton is a little bit like the original film, is ambiguous about, you know, how good of a guy Patton is. He's a good guy because he's on the right side of history, in a way. In this future scenario, he's not. He's on the what would be the equivalent of the Nazi regime in the future. And so all of his military might and military prowess and ruthlessness and willingness to put people's lives in danger, all of that comes to... Uh, he rises actually even further. He's not constrained by the military brass, you know, for slapping a soldier and that kind of thing. Instead, he, you know, he rises up, he he wins the war, they go further and further and further for global domination. He becomes sort of the, uh, rises to the ranks of being the political leadership of this uh, this sort of neo-future fascist regime. And this future patent is also nostalgic, of course, for the past, like the previous patent. And he's nostalgic for the patent of World War II. And so he's studying the patent of World War II to build his his own uh, military strategy. That's fantastic. I, I think it would be good if it was patent and then whatever the year is, 2359 Ooh. or whatever. You know? Nice. 2359. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take it. That is quite far ahead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 2359 is not a good year for a title, really. I don't know why that came out. But... Whoa. Yeah, 23, I don't know, something yeah. like 2442 or something. Oh. We'll focus group okay. the, the year. Yeah, it can be any year, really. 5210. Wow, you just keep going. Going <laughs> way in the future. Yeah. Uh, this is just going to wow. be Dune eventually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can dig it. I, I really, well, and, and, you know, since you're working with George C. Scott here, I'm curious, did you, around what year do you think would be the best time to have this made? Uh, that's a good question. Well, what's interesting about George C. Scott in the original is he's playing significantly older than he is right. at that time. And, I mean, you can see that with the makeup. Yeah, and the eyebrows, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they really whitened up his eyebrows. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess not too long after that because, honestly, he's not looking that great. Mm. But maybe that would work. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He has to be credible as somebody who would be kind of on the battlefield, I think. So sure. you don't want yeah. him looking quite the way he does in the mid 80s there. Right. Yeah. Um, OK. Uh, yeah, sorry. Oh, and then I was also just thinking with the connection to the director, maybe it's Patton leading apes. I don't know. Maybe there's something there. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. Uh, Patent of yeah. the Apes. Patent, yeah, Patent of, of the Apes. Apes. Okay. How many, um, Paul, would you say, just so I know, total, how many pitches do you have? <laughs> I have one. Come on, you bastards! Take a shot at me right in the nose! A prequel, mid-cool sequel, told mainly from the perspective of his wife of 35 years, Beatrice, uh, played by Elaine Stewart in this iteration. Uh, but also told in sections from that of his mistress slash niece through marriage, Jean Gordon, played by a young Valerie Bertinelli. Much like Patton, this would be an honest portrayal of the man and his strengths and primarily faults, as well as those of these women who loved him. 
So it begins with the story of George and Bee's courtship and eventual marriage in 1910. Here we see George at his most charming and tender, though of course for him there are always major limitations in this regard. In his way, he does truly love her and their two daughters that they eventually have, Beatrice Jr. and Ruth, though the whole family will always come second to his first love, war. We see Beatrice stay home to raise the kids while Patton goes off to war every chance he gets. Then in, the in 1934, when he is stationed in Hawaii, he begins a close relationship with his 21-year-old niece by marriage, Red Cross worker Jean Gordon. Rumors spread about the two of them having an affair, and whether they're true or not, George claims their validity. Separately, as a subplot, Jean, the uh, niece, has fallen in love with a married junior officer. Okay, so this supposed affair between them showcases the worst sides of Patton, egocentric, obsessed with his own virility, but the fallout with his marriage also causes him to enter into the most remorseful and submissive state anyone would ever seen him in as he works to win Beatrice back and preserve their suffering marriage. He does this, and they go on to have another child, a son this time, George IV. B stays with him through it all, through two world wars, through his public disgrace, and through the ailing of his adult children who all grow up on uneasy ground with the general. Through their development, we see him at his absolute best as a father and, the, and his absolute worst. All the way through to his death by tragic car accident in 1945. She, stay, she even stays with him despite the resurfacing of his affair with Jean, whom George uses as a public symbol of his masculine viability after he is stripped of his command over the Third Army. After his death, B asks to meet with Jean and puts a Hawaiian curse on her not knowing that Jean has also recently been left by her lover who has gone back to his wife. Uh, I have the curse here. We can talk about that in a little bit. Uh, shortly after George's funeral, Jean is found dead in her apartment by apparent suicide with the oven door left open and photos of Patton strewn all about Jesus. her. This is all true. In the end, we are left with B contemplating what guilt she feels over this young girl's death and so many other choices she's made in her life as she sits up looking proud at a military event honoring her late husband. And this film is called George. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> I like that title. I like that title because it's hum it's humanizing him through his family and it's called George. I like that. I'm not sure um, about the Hawaiian curse. Yeah, what's the Hawaiian curse? So this is a suppo supposedly uh, this really happened after Patton's death. His wife insisted on being on meeting with Jean, his supposed mistress, and she said these words, "May the great worm gnaw your vitals and may your bones rot joint by little joint." And then, apparently, she ran out of the room. Wow. Okay. So this actually, this actually happened. happened. Yes. Okay. So that's a pretty interesting okay. character. <laughs> that lady. Huh. The lady right. who's... Uh, yeah. So, there it is. So all, all your stuff in that pitch is, um, is what happened, really. Yeah. I mean, I took some liberties with assuming that his kids might have some issues with him and stuff. Like I, I tried to make it the most compelling drama possible, <laughs> but the actual, it's a safe, it's a safe assumption. yeah, but the, yeah, the actual, uh, you know, facts as to what he did and, you know, leaving her. And yes, it's all, it's all. And Jean died that way. She did. She killed herself. And oh, no. that's crazy. Yes. All and right. uh, apparently a lot there, it, the claim of their having an affair is disputed by some historians, though his family believes they did have an affair. Um, many believe that he it was all made up because he was obsessed with appearing um, masculine and viable at his older age. So, uh, I see. classic Patton. But supposedly, either yeah, way, she also Patton. had this affair with the other officer. So the suicide might have been somewhat related to Patton uh, and somewhat related to that, but we'll never know. Okay. Yeah. 
All right, I got like eight minutes. We can do this. Okay. Well, let me let me do my pitch, and then you can vote, and then you can. All right. Here you go. All right. Um, are you kidding me? I don't. Can't read your handwriting. I don't have a title written here, so (laughs) come up with one. Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, no one's beaten Patton fifty-two sixty-four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Commence firing. Fired will. Uh, in the same vein as Kurosawa's dreams, the final judgment of General Patton, there's the title, fuck me, lies, <laughs> lives in a place beyond reality where the truth lives. Picking up at the end of Patton, we follow the general as he walks over the mountain with Willie. On the other side, he relives his final victorious battle of the war. It's glorious, and he is vital and vibrant. From there, he goes on to fight farther and farther back in the battles he remembers, back to World War One, back even to wars fought before he was born, Paul. I knew he it. He fights his way across humanity's worst and bloodiest battles across the globe and under many banners. In the final moments of the film, Patton realizes with a significant look his fate. It is left to the viewer to decide if this is his reward for a war well waged or a punishment for a life of violence. Mm-hmm. And I also had the idea that like Willie would, uh, but then as I was writing, I was like, I don't know if Willie's into this, but like Willie would be there with him in all of these battles in different forms and different oh. ways <laughs> um, as his sort of his, his companion uh, yeah, and, yeah. and guide. Yeah. yeah. But is he always a coward, Willie? All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> good. good, good, good. Yeah. Well, or is is Willie just like Patton's heart and the only part of him that shies away from violence? Oh. Mm. That's nice. Interesting. His conscience. Yeah. yeah. In like dog form. <laughs> An adorable dog form. <laughs> There's no other kind. Yeah. That's true. Okay, Lauren. What are you thinking? Mm-hmm. You are esteemed judge. Well, it definitely comes down between. Travis and Keith's. Ouch. Sorry, I don't know that Paul. she needed to say that. I just, yeah, uh, she didn't. You know, <laughs> just because I didn't, you know, like it. More, more history is not what I want needed from these films. So what, what could make it a little more fun? You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. um, I think I'm gonna have to go with Travis. The most fun. Americans love a winner, and will not tolerate a loser. Americans play to win all the time. I wouldn't give a hoot in hell for a man who lost and laughed. Yeah, so that sounds cool. Like that, that, that would go for a lot of good imagery and um, spectacles. So thank you. I will go with the thought, final too. judgment of General Patton. Thank Patton. you. Very good. Thank you, Lauren. I appreciate your your vision and honesty. Yeah. <laughs> I do have to go. Will, All I, right. will I mess this up if I unplug my Just, headphones? Oh, are you taking those with you? I was going to, but if I mess it up, I won't take them. Let's find out. Can you still hear? Me? Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Bye, Thanks. y'all. It was but nice they to can't. meet you, Keith. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're saying terrible things. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> Violent words. Give me a smooch. Okay. okay. Have fun All right. at work. Bye, make good y'all. choices. I won't, but I will make good choices. <laughs> okay. Now it's just yeah. boys in war. That's right, man. Let's, uh, if, if I, I just want to touch on both of your <clears throat> uh, pitches real quick because we had to breeze through them because Lauren had her work. Um, but future Patton, I really liked, I got really nervous, Keith, when you started talking because mm-hmm. after Paul had already trampled through half of my pitch, <laughs> I was like, well, here we go again. I'll just leave. Yeah, uh, but then yeah. you said, you said the future angle, like that's so interesting to push yeah. it forward and like, his wish is kind of granted darkly in the future. Right. And then we follow it 
to the natural conclusion of his character, which would be, and then I'm in control of everything and get to just wage exactly. war on everything else. I thought that was great. And, you know, with the, with the fun, like, Blade Runner-esque title, um, mm, just just yeah. the right amount of campy. I thought that was delightful. Well, and um, Paul, I'm with Lauren. There's nothing there in your pitch. Good. I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> Obviously, I really, really like your pitch because it feels true to the spirit of Patton. Mm-hmm. Like even like retreading the exact same ground, but just from the a human perspective of his wife and his family and stuff, and then and like still retaining all of the warts and all nature of it. And again, mm-hmm. that title, Paul, elegant, George. Yes, thank you. Beautiful. I oh, <laughs> what a name. I do the, like that because Patton, Patton is Patton the war maker, right? Yeah, and then your film is George the human being, the man, you know, the man. The I think that's good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, Patent through history, though. I mean, I think there's yeah. a lot of legs with that oh, yeah. too, because there's, uh, I mean, there's so many fun things you do. Basically, like a Bill and Ted style film of Patton. Well, and I think both of yours, while we're handing out compliments to each other, George C. Scott would get to have more fun, or you'd get to watch him really yeah. shine again. It uh, would be fun. Yeah. In, when in you said, yeah, future. Patton as a caveman, George C. Scott yeah. as a as a caveman that really <laughs> that is an image i really would enjoy watching we could do something like um like you know one of the shots in everything everywhere all at once you know where he's looking right into the camera and everything is just changing around him as he's in different states Ooh, and stuff yeah. and it'll yeah. be like cave uh, it'll be like the end of a daria and credit sequence it'll be like caveman right. <laughs> george c scott and french george c scott at first i wanted to go the quentin tarantino route of revisionist history but the other way as opposed to being violent making it like a sweetener like almost like the shining of Patton <laughs> and have it be like he goes home and retires and through his granddaughter <laughs> becomes a softer gentler man but uh, then given what I actually liked about Patton as a film I decided I couldn't do that. Good call. Real quick I want to talk about other sequels to Patton this is arguable. It's a, if you want to make a connection, but that's what we do on this show. The Cold yeah. War. So uh, this this patent is the, or last days of patent, is the second time that Richard Dysart played Eisenhower. Uh, the first was in the movie Churchill and the Generals in 1979. So technically speaking, that's your Eisenhower. Same sure. movie if, universe. If you want to, you know, <laughs> World War II cinematic universe. Right. Yeah. Get on it, and he did a good job. You know, I, I could I could mm-hmm. watch him do it again, probably. Well, maybe like on an episode of Doctor Who or something. But <laughs> yeah, that would have, that would be good. Okay, so and then real quick, normally I would just not even bring this up, but because we have this segment as an established segment, I have to. I have a planes with parts. Look up in the sky. Are they birds? Are they darts? Actually, those things are planes with parts. This is a segment about, well, most of the times it's cars, but planes that have played the role of planes in several movies. And this is a segment we have? It is. Yeah, it's established in, <laughs> in, in the, the Casa... Often enough that... Well, I didn't think it would ever happen again. It happened in the Casablanca episode. Mm-hmm. But then... And what's it called again? Planes the with segment? parts. Planes with parts. Yeah. That's cute. Yes. That's good. You're good at titles. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> Patton, much of Patton, especially the battle scenes, was filmed in Spain, and a lot of the soldiers in the battle scenes and the equipment rented were paid for and rented from the Spanish army. 
The German planes are a Spanish version of the Heinkel HE 111. 111. And these are the same planes featured in the 1969 film The Battle of Britain. Planes with parts. (laughs) 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 Yeah, there it was. That's the plane and that's the part. Sort of uh, jumping back to Keith's pitch, Patton being in even more the wrong time and it just being a horrible thing for the world, it reminded me of sort of a not fun fact that this movie is was a huge favorite of Richard Nixon's and uh, yeah. Donald Trump's. So <laughs> we got some interesting company loving what this movie's the first one. I'm glad I uh, yeah. yeah. I'm glad I came at it so hot up top then. Yeah. It really gets me a lot of cred now at the reveal of the villains. <laughs> <laughs> the twist ending. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's hard to imagine Trump having the uh, attention span to really right? watch Patton. I mean, because I had heard he the story it. that he his favorite movie is Bloodsport, the Jean Claude Van Damme movie. But that when he would show it or watch it, he would just fast forward to the fight scenes. <laughs> uh, yeah, this uh, this feels like something he says is his as a movie he likes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe just right. Watch the first scene. You know, the one that... Yeah, that's that's probably what it is, actually. Well, and yeah. supposedly that scene, uh, George C. Scott almost refused to do the scene because he believed that it, he would never top it. As Travis said, he never did. And so yeah. the director lied to him and said, oh, no, no, we'll put it at the end. And then just kept it at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes so. you got to lie to the actors. Sure. And I think it was the right choice. Because they say stuff like, I don't want to do this scene because it's literally so iconic it will be remembered forever. And it's like, okay, that's kind of why <laughs> we spent all the money. That's why we're here. It'll be the poster. It's <laughs> yeah. too good. Yeah. I don't want to do it. Okay, so any final thoughts on the last days of Patton before we do Unsung Heroes? My only final thought is that I did enjoy in the last days of Patton when it was clearly just sort of a callback to Patton. Uh, so when there was like, they referenced the slapping incident right. in a way that's like, oh yeah, that was, I remember that from the first movie. And even Willie the dog coming back has a little bit of that quality about it where yeah. it's like, oh yeah, I remember the dog from the first movie. He was a coward. That's yeah. fun. He's back. <laughs> so I appreciate their little, <laughs> little just, uh, you know, callbacks for the fans. You know, well, and as well, fan service, as far as the slap goes, in watching Patton, I was, I mean, it makes sense because there was people waging against war in, in, in all eras and blah, blah, blah. But I, I appreciated that it was such a controversy back then. You'd almost think hmm. it, it, it would be less of a big deal. It wouldn't have disgraced him so. I mean, obviously, it's a hard scene to watch. Mm-hmm. I would just think around yeah. 1940s, it's, uh, you know, maybe I not. would have just assumed that there was a slapping officer whose job it was to go slap people who behaved that way in yeah. the 1940s. <laughs> well, Get back in there. Yeah, and I, I couldn't help but think of Will Smith when the slap heard around the world in, in a different way came up. Oh, uh, It struck me as like a, well, you know, it's not so much the slap as it was him threatening to pull out his gun and shoot him right then and there, but for the soldiers who stopped yeah. him, that should maybe be the controversial thing. 
but um, slap sounds better, I guess, in a headline. Oh, so so you say the controversy was more like George behind closed doors, buddy. I just think murder. the death threat, the threat to murder yeah. a soldier is, is worse that. than the slap. <laughs> okay, so does anybody have any unsung heroes? Hit it, Paul Junior. Unsung heroes. The sword fighting, the fencer. Oh, the skinny, the skinny <laughs> fencer. I, oh. Prime unsung hero real estate that I threw away like a bomb. Oh, the so I'll, the I'll just circle it. back and hitch my. Yeah. yeah. Okay. In the sequel, yeah, or actually, I see. yeah. <laughs> and I would like to say that I think the unsung hero for me here is more the gall of that decision of putting that guy in, and they go like, "That's <laughs> close enough." Not even going to stuff a shirt under there. Just that's what he looks like. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's such a normally padded outfit too when right. you're fencing <laughs> that um, you know it has natural girth to it. So to even then be so much so clearly skinnier is a bold choice. Yeah, it's like. I feel like that was uh, that was maybe George's call. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I have I have two for Patton and I have two for Last Days. I'll do my Patton ones and then I guess I'll I'll throw it to Keith. All right. See what stays in. In Patton, when they have the parade after they've taken Palermo, there's a girl with flowers who steps right in front of Cod when they're all like rushing forward to clap for Patton and stuff and she not only like holds the flowers up so that they hit Cod in the face she also spikes the camera right after that so she brought something to that hmm. scene I didn't notice that yeah. I didn't notice either yeah give it a look and then the other I'm one Googling. from Patton would be Abigail the little like shih tzu dog that scared Willie mm-hmm. what, a, what a wonderful scene I... uh, that I would not have expected from this movie did Abigail scare your dog? Yeah. That's the line. That's how I knew her name. The old British lady was also good for, for just that one little line. She did a nice job. When that scene started, I remember seeing all those old ladies lined up, and to me it read, what a hunk. Like, I don't know if I was just <laughs> reading into that or if it was just their ages uh, looking at Patton, so. but that's that's what I saw. I saw groupies. But then Patton told her, you're a war too late. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Liney used a lot. Oh, I, people! The people listening have not watched that second movie. Almost certainly, yeah, there, he tells a story about an older woman who hit on him uh, during World yeah. War II, and that was how he diffused the situation by telling her she was yeah. one war too late because he was at the same place in World War One. I. I like I'm young and niecey. <laughs> <laughs> <What? laughs> The the one because I did mention earlier that like George C. Scotty dominates the film so much, everybody who's in a scene with him does kind of fall to the wayside a little bit. Even Carl Malden, who's a good actor, yeah. is just kind of there. So the guy that I really liked did not share a scene with Patton, and it was Siegfried Rauch, who's the uh his character name was Captain Oscar Steiger, and he was the like researcher. Oh, whose job was just to like research patent right. yes. for the Nazis. Yeah. And he um he brings like a little he has like a glint in his eye every time he, he talks about it, like he's really excited to have found out this stuff about Patton. Yeah. So I thought he brought a nice little touch to sort of thank otherwise thankless role. D- definitely in the scene where the war's over and they're burning everything and he speaks to the picture mm-hmm. of Patton before he burns it. 
I, you know, I saw like love, yes, yes. like so much admiration for yeah. this man. Yeah, I, I thought he added exactly. Quite a bit. I, I kept thinking this throughout the movie, and probably it was intentional. Also, it was historical, but the fact that the Nazis just kept their eye on Patton so much to their own detriment when the U.S. was like mm-hmm. shaming him and, and taking away his command because of what he'd done, the Nazis were like. Why would they ever stop using their best commander? Like they, right? They didn't believe it, right? Yeah, which it made so much sense given his style being complementary to their style. Mm-hmm. It is it's certainly it is not what we would do. I, it's weird to call it a thread when it's it's not a it's it's real historical fact and not necessarily like right. made for the movie. But in both films, drawing the the lines of like the American military does not they're using Patton, but they don't quite always agree with him. They don't really like him. But boy, the Nazis, they sure do chum up really yeah. easy with Patton. And he loves them. He, he, and he likes. Yeah. Them. <laughs> the way right. they uh, right. build the, the like river system or whatever it was. It was like, a, you know, I'm talking about the waterway. Yeah. And he's just. Mm-hmm. Nice right. work, boys. You know, <laughs> they know how to. Yeah, and he uses it to slag off the the Soviets. Like, oh, they'd take two years to build it, and the water'd be flowing the wrong way. Well, in that second one, there's so many men just there to laugh at him saying off-color things <laughs> about specific people. Yeah. It's like, I wonder if any of these guys actually find this funny, or if they're just like, well, we, <laughs> it's Patton. We gotta. Yeah. gotta well, chuckle. and that's and, and, and it's interesting. Yeah. You bring that up because they do have that moment in the movie where he cracks a joke and the driver and the mayor from Jaws don't laugh. Mm-hmm. And right. they're just like, ah, we kind of heard it before. And <laughs> yeah, like, well, it wasn't that good of a yeah. joke. <laughs> yeah, I also liked that they then, that was my favorite maybe use of flashback was when I told it the first time, I'm sure it killed. And then you watch the first time he told it and nobody laughs. Yeah, yeah. that was a good That was scene. the same flashback with the tank. Best flashback, for sure. And we also don't Definitely like get any follow-up with that tank i don't know if the tank thing worked and that's and it's like see Patton's great or it's like it turns out shaming your bosses does not engender their goodwill <laughs> like there was i don't remember there yeah. being any follow-up to the tank thing when it seemed in a little inconsistent with Patton too just because in Patton he seems like he doesn't really i mean he is commanding the tanks but he doesn't seem like he really likes technology he'd rather be fighting on horseback or something although yeah. so it, it felt a little bit odd that that was but maybe that's well, tank, i remember know, him tank was having a line kind of horseback like, it should just be so. me and rommel me and my tank and him and his <laughs> end the war that way that's true like, yeah um but well first of all i had questions about the logistics of that tank i mean i guess it's not a tank it's what like a wall blaster whatever it is the fact that I, you're I was confused because he said you can seem like it, <laughs> it drives through <laughs> it drives through buildings and cr- and then but then you just like sit on top of it like Mario right. Kart and I'm like wouldn't you just yeah. I, I can't go through a building right. yeah it had a very Looney Tunes tank quality <laughs> yeah. about it where it's like half of your body yeah it was like a McDonald's toy. <laughs> McDonald's. As presented, I'm just like, it can, her hat didn't even stay on. You can't drive that through a building. No. At least put a dome right. over the, <laughs> right, the Pope Mobile. sticking out of it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. But I know he did create the last battle-used saber. He designed it. The Patton War Saber. So he was, you know, into designing He designed a sword? Weapons. Yes, he designed a... Yes. Yeah. It Sharp on the end and one side. <laughs> I'm sure there was more to it than classic? that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, That's true. There's only so many design elements you can. Yeah. A different handle, maybe, or a right. curve to the yeah. blade. Yeah. Actually, know. there's a lot his, of his his picture on it. Ah. Yeah, that's probably what it was. <laughs> his name is on the the blade. My unsung heroes for last days of Pat and I have two. One is a group, the American Press, the reporters. Mm. Every time you got back to them, you got some comedy. The first thing that I remember thinking was one of them looked like Kevin Malone from The Office. <laughs> and then they get to uh, the hospital where they're badgering the nurse and being like, oh, could you tell us anything? Blah, blah, blah. And the nurse has this like exasperated delivery of, we won't be releasing a statement until today. I can't answer your question. And then the one guy just goes, Okay. And walks away, which I just loved. It's like a, well, he was probably just badgering her, and now he's so understanding. Um, and then also, next time you see them badgering that same nurse, one of the reporters says, "How do we get through to this dame?" Which I just really liked as a line. And then my other unsung hero is the old nurse that is leaving her shift early and giving care of Patton over to the young nurse. Do you remember this scene? Yeah, uh, she's mm-hmm. like changing her clothes yeah. and stuff, getting ready to go home, and. I loved it. I mean, I liked the scene in general, but specifically, it really added to the film that she has a line where he's like, he's actually sort of cute. And then you see him, <laughs> and he looks like Frankenstein's monster yeah. with his yeah. <laughs> head yeah. scar on the forehead. And like, he has a wire attaching from his head to the wall and then hooks in his face. <laughs> it's very funny to me to see this shaven monster. And even without yeah. that, he was not looking no. good. You know, before the well, car maybe... accident, also not looking yeah, cute. You know, handsome. Maybe yeah. she's one of these, um, you know, maybe she's just a monster she had like a fetish she she doesn't mean he's cute in the way that like oh what it like robert redford's so cute she's like you know how monsters are awesome right well this guy (laughs) oh boy you're into dracula and the mummy that kind of thing you're gonna love Patton. (laughs) even as a man he was kind of just like growl eating chew chewing through uh tree bark (laughs) yeah all right well anything you guys want to plug and then and then head out uh, listen to the hotel now on the bloody disgusting podcast network. Um, and if you are listening to the hotel, I don't know. Tell more people to listen to this. Ah, spread thank that. Thank you. You you can do that too. Um, please do. I prefer to delegate that <laughs> to your listeners. <laughs> All both of them. Uh, okay, Keith. Uh, well, I'll plug if you are in the St. Louis area. There is a micro cinema run by myself and my wife uh, called Arcaden Cinema and Bar. And we actually don't have the bar yet, but uh, <laughs> we have been doing movies outside since COVID started. And we are finally have broken ground, so to speak, on our interior space. So hopefully by the end of the year, we will be open, actually showing things uh, regularly inside. If you're in St. Louis, come to that. And then I also write periodically for slantmagazine.com, and they could always use more viewers and readers. So um, head on over there. Woo! I just read your Bob's Burgers movie review this morning. Quite, oh, quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, and as far as... <laughs> A riveting... <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> well I, I actually haven't 
seen the movie yet so it it whetted my appetite it's something i'm I'm waiting to watch when for when kim is in the mood she's concerned there'll be too many musical numbers and that's what's keeping us from watching it but um she's probably yeah i know they do love to do that they do it on all their finales there's several and it is a musical there were actually fewer than i expected okay but i don't know what she's expecting so you know i don't want to she's a tough nut to crack i'm not sure what the maximum number of musical numbers (laughs) would be that <laughs> she could what will she tolerate? Three? Tolerate, yeah. It depends. Five? Grease two, she'll take them all. But outside of that, sure. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's it's it it's a thing by <laughs> thing. Two. Yeah, yeah. They're less lascivious than Grease two, I think. Well, I don't know then. No spring, yeah. <laughs> spring, whatever that that one. Is. Yeah, the the boner <laughs> noise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then as far as the Arcaden, I know I've said this to you before, and it's just one of these like. It could just be flowery words or gushing words, but I like, in my mind, if if I was asked, you have one more place you get to go, and then that's it, before you die, before you last days of Patton, I would go to the Arcaden <laughs> because I haven't been able to go yet, and I'm wow. so excited about the prospect of this, the, the, the schedule, like what I see, I follow them on socials, and the stuff you guys put on is awesome, uh, right up my alley, everything. Like I, I would just be excited to be there all the time were I in St. Louis. So I'm very, uh, I'm very sad that I'm not anymore. It's my number one reason for wanting to be back well, there. So, thank you so much, Paul. Yeah. Well, I still haven't given you any patronage, but <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> well, yeah, that's yeah. fine. But uh, anyways, yes, uh, double double plug for that one. Other than that, I just want to say thank you guys so much for going through all that, Patton, and. Uh, being here today um, I wonder how voting would have gone well one of your pitches might have squeaked out a win well because it was half of yours in a way I guess it did uh, no yeah. that's just a dig about <laughs> I'm just I'm just hitting that button again yeah. <laughs> doing my Ed McManny best yeah. Andy Richtery best I, I I like you at your Andrew, Andy Richtery best what would be what's the next step after that is it Hannibal Burris they don't really do. They have those anymore. I have not kept up with late night. Oh well, like shows, but I don't feel like any of them really have the sidekick anymore. Right, because Animal Comer is, is not, the last one I can think of. Playing. Yeah. Isn't there a robot on um on the Scottish guy's show? Well, he's not even on anymore. Uh, the Craig yeah. show. It was like yeah, a skeleton a or something. Yeah, that's pretty Travis. Was it a skeleton right. robot? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. looked yeah. like Travis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Follow-up showdown. Today's subject is Easy Rider the Ride Back. And our guest today is Nick Gardner. Thematically, they get miss closer. it 100%, though. Yeah. Just yeah. like Easy Rider, they didn't get it. Yeah. No. Like, I mean, I can't say I really got it, but I at yeah. least saw where they were coming from. Yeah.